Hello, all. Welcome to the Ex Millennial Man Podcast, podcast for SeedSing.com. I am your host, Artie Kulik, and with me here is the most COVID looking, non COVID having dude I've ever met. And that's the greatest other host, Ty. How are you today, Ty? Hi, everybody. I'm doing better. I mean, as I wrote yesterday, my doctor, my nurse practitioner said, this is a problem with aging, but I have an antibiotic, an inhaler now, and steroids. And it was funny. I was talking to my son about it. I took my steroid. And he, wait a minute, you got steroids? I told him not those kind of steroids. Mm-hmm. Yeah, got to listen. I'm not going to get all jacked. Got to listen to some uh, some of the unauthorized Bash Brothers. Yeah, uh, exactly. <laughs> from, but yes, I, I don't have COVID confirmed by my nurse practitioner yesterday too. We're going to kick off. This is obviously part two of me telling you all about Canon Films, specifically the Golden Globus time of Canon Films, which completely shaped my entire generation. And first off, I want to thank everybody for listening. I got all your emails and messages. I read them all. I know we're missing quite a bit. I'm going to start off at the beginning. Oh, so people responded? Oh, yeah. Yeah. And what about this movie? What about this movie? Yeah. What about this movie? So again, I appreciate it. This is in typical Golden Globus fashion. This is Part two, this is our sequels that we're going to throw all the money at and make it bigger and louder and brasher. Also, I want to say I'm going to launch it on this feed here in the next couple of days, and then it's going to have its own feed. But I've got First Watch Rewatch, which is a podcast where I have somebody watch something they've never seen that I have seen. And the first episode coming out is with my wife, where we talk about the movie The Apple. And it is uh, Which I still need to watch. Oh, it's quite the it's the longest hour and 26 minutes you'll spend of your entire life. Well, after talking about that and talking about I think it was called Greatest American Virgin or the something. Last two, I, Virgin. The yeah. Last American Virgin. Last American Virgin. Those are two I actually genuinely want to see. So I, I need to watch both. of those. I will say uh, I do say on first watch rewatch that I do think it's everybody's absolute duty in life to watch the Apple but okay. having said that, is if you listen to me talk about it, I do spend quite a bit amount of the podcast singing. So do be more <laughs> forewarned. <laughs> Wonderful. Everybody's favorite about our podcast. They, they come to our podcast for the pop culture, but they stay to hear you sing. <laughs> That's right. So there'll be there'll be plenty of that. But Ty, let's kick it off. Like we ended last week on the Last American Virgin, Canon was getting these bottom of the barrel scripts and just churning out movies, and they made a star out of Chuck Norris. They launch of the ninja phase they were trying to get oscar gold with crap like bolero which is considered one of the worst films ever mm-hmm. but they're making money and they're they're in it so i want to go back to talking about missing in action and how it was a treatment from james cameron for uh, rambo 2 for first blood part 2 rambo why make a sylvester stallone or why make a rip-off sylvester stallone movie when you can get sylvester stallone so yeah. I'm going to start this here with probably Canon's biggest success, well, probably financially their biggest successful film. But I want to start first by talking about the film Beverly Hills Cop. Wait, that's not a Canon movie? <laughs> no, it's not. Okay, it's not. all right. I was going to say, if that was a Canon movie, that's crazy. <laughs> but the original Beverly Hills Cop was the character of Axel Foley was supposed to be played by Sylvester Stallone. Stallone, like yeah, now Stallone... Yeah was Oscar-nominated. He's an Oscar-nominated writer. He was nominated Mm -hmm. for Rocky. So he had done, I think by this time, too, he'd already written and directed the movie Staying Alive, which when we talked about the 83, the worst movies ever, that's considered way up there. But he, he wanted to take a stab at the Beverly Hills Cop script, which a lot of people really, really liked because they liked it was somewhat serious but had some comedy elements to it. He took a rewrite of it, and it was... Everybody involved, including Sylvester Stallone, I think, was kind of like, okay, this is a completely different movie. And his deal to be Axel Foley had fallen had fallen off. And then they went and they got Eddie Murphy to play the lead role. And, you Thank know, goodness. Yeah. So you would have never had there's a famous scene between uh, Eddie Murphy and Bronson Pinchot. That whole oh, yeah. scene's ad libbed. Oh, wow. This movie, I mean, and Beverly Hills Cop went on to become something else. But Sylvester Stallone could not give up his idea. Of Beverly Hills Cop. But now, I was going to say, just take a second, listeners, to <laughs> yeah. think about that scene. But put, I mean, Eddie Murphy is a genius. Like that. So imagine Sylvester Stallone. They would have to write all this. would be, they would need Coen Brothers level writing to do that. Because I just recently watched Big Lebowski again. And mm. I was thinking, like, I can't believe they wrote everything. And 
to think of Sylvester Stallone and Bronson Pinchot doing what Eddie Murphy and Bronson Pinchot did yeah. is is baffling to me. No. So he Sylvester Stallone, one of the big things he did is he changed the name of the main character from Axel Foley to Axel Cobretti. All right. So he's making it Italian. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he still has the script. He's still kind of in love with it. And he brings it to Canon Films, brings it to uh, Golan and Globus, and they love it because it's like Death Wish. I, I didn't talk a lot about Death Wish 2 in the last podcast, but Death Wish 2 is considered one of the most racist films ever made. And it has sure. this incredibly, this incredible, like, uh, white conservative view of cities of urban America that they're overrun okay. with with African Americans and it's filled with crime and you're going to need a white guy to save them okay cobra okay. is like the toned down version of death wish 2 all right okay. you go look at the poster for it and it's got stallone and the sunglasses and the tagline of the movie is crime is a disease meet the cure <laughs> that's a pretty pretty ridiculous yeah. tagline and it was also to the point of i was going to play the trailer for it i'm going to play a trailer for a few of these things but it's all just some crappies hair ballad hair metal band song that's all there's no and then you hear some action it's better it's one that's better to be seen than to hear okay but in there it says there's a new kind of criminal which means there's a new kind of cop cobra is has none of the humor of Beverly Hills Cop, obviously, except there's one scene. There's one particular scene that I don't think was meant to be funny. And again, yeah. I encourage everybody go out there and Google Cobra Movie Pizza, where Sylvester Stallone comes home, grabs a box of pizza out of his uh, out of his refrigerator, some like day old pizza or something, gets scissors and cuts a slice off. Hilarious. I love that. <laughs> it's like in Hot Rod where they have that cutaway scene of the dog walk itself home, ordered a pizza, ate it. But that's what that makes me think of. Yeah. And obviously, Stallone wanted his lady in it. So Brigitte Nielsen is in this movie. But the yeah. rest the rest of it is really not much of anybody. And so they threw, which was a lot of money at the time, uh, Golan and Globus, Canon Films, threw $25 million at Cobra. It's a lot of money they, now. Yeah, they came into a deal with uh, is like MGM or another big studio to help distribute the movie, and the movie made at the time a hundred and sixty million dollars. So five times its budget. Mm -hmm. It made f more than f almost six times its budget, I suppose. Then, if, I, if I'm like, that's that's nuts. Now, when, did, when did Cobra come out? 86, 1986. Do you think there's any possibility and our mom and dad are very liberal like like you you think there's any possibility they like had you or our oldest brother stay home with me and our younger brother our other brother so they could go see that movie together i can't imagine you know but i'm sure there's some parents who did that yeah I, well that's what i'm thinking it's it's i mean it's it gotta be it was a huge movie that's equivalent yeah. to nearly 300 million dollars today holy cow i mean that's <laughs> like superhero level type of yeah, that's I mean, Avatar made like a billion dollars, but our Avatar 2 did. I don't know how much Avatar 1 made, but that's a lot of money. And it was a huge hit overseas. Now, this is not a time when American movies are a global phenomenon. It's not we don't talk about like uh, with a lot of movies back then. We don't talk about their global box office. But Cobra was a big hit all over the world. It easily Canon Films' biggest movie ever made. And yeah, I mean, all sense. the money, everybody. And again, you go back, Cobra's kind of a, I don't want to say a guilty pleasure. I mean, it is a ridiculous movie. It is, yeah. but it is this kind of, I, I go back to it, white conservative dream. You watch Fox News today. If you turn mm -hmm. it on at any hour, you wait 10 minutes and they're going to scream at you about how San Francisco's a crime-ridden hellhole. That's what they're okay. going to do. Now, I was just in San Francisco a few weeks ago. Yeah. There was nobody peeing on the street, nobody pooping. And again, we can go through all these problems that Fox News keeps screaming to people, but it's New York, or it's New York, Chicago, it's uh, San Francisco. It's all, these are the worst cities imaginable. This was kind of the mindset of America or of, Co of the movie Cobra that, again, I when we talked in the first half about a movie like Joe, and then again, the not missing in action, but, uh, or Delta Force, or the Death Wish movies or stuff like this. Mm -hmm. Cobra was maybe the most polished of that style of, of canon film. 
I mean, it, the story, the story of Cobra. Is it just he's fighting crime? Yeah, it's he's he's going beyond the law. So <laughs> this is a good. I, I'm gonna is quote it like Batman. Is he like a vigilante? No, no, no. He's a cop, but he's gonna he goes too far. So there's a uh, there's the Simpsons, the McGarnacle, where he's like, "Come on, Jimmy, oh, yeah, do yeah. it for McGarnacle," and then it cuts to, "Well, McGarnacle, Jimmy's dead. They cut him ear to ear." And um, <laughs> I've eaten my lunch here. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> there is an actual part of the movie Cobra because I think the whole, even though McGarnacle's supposed to be like Dirty Harry, I think this is taken from Cobra, mm-hmm. where the he brings in or he's he killed a, a a bad guy or something like that. And the, his chief or superior is like, Cobra, you can't do that. Even criminals have rights. And he points to a dead kid. Stallone does it goes, where's his rights? Oh my God. <laughs> that is absolutely ridiculous. And now I got to, uh, again, I, I don't agree with what you're telling me this movie is about, but I kind of want to watch it. I see how bad it is. It is. It's, it's, that's what I mean. It is of all the Canon films of this genre. It is probably the most, the most fleshed out one the the one that looks okay. like a i mean canon's a real movie studio this looks like a real movie it was and it was extremely successful i mean million budget you make 160 that's you're making you're making dollars there yeah now golden globus decide they want to stay in the sylvester stallone business because let's be honest he's a lot better than Michael Dudikoff, who you probably don't even know who it is, but that sounds like a fake name. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah I don't, I don't he was in the is. American Ninja movies, or Chuck Norris, or even Charles Bronson, who's like in yeah. his fifties right now. I was going to say, yeah, Sylvester Stallone's a big name, and it's an Oscar winner. Yes, that's nothing to slouch. I mean, I know there's some bad Oscar winners, but Rocky is a legit good movie. Immediately. Again, bottom of the barrel type scripts. Golan and Globus approach Sylvester Stallone and say, "We want you to be in this next movie of ours, and it's it's you know we really we really want you." And it, as a matter of fact, I think I said Manhanam. I think it's Menachem. It might be Manhanam, but Golan, he's he's going to even direct this movie. He directed wow. the Apple, so he has experience. And they're going to come at him and tie. I'm going to play you the trailer for this film. What are the odds on Lincoln Hawks? Twenty to one, pal. Real long shot. Relax. Let's go. The world meets nobody halfway. Remember that. I don't have a father, sir. The world has always bet against Lincoln Hawks. This guy's nothing. Why'd you leave us? It won't happen again. What my grandson found. I don't care how you do it. Do it. But a winner never listens to the odds. Whatever happens, I want you to stay with him. Where do we end up? Together is all I can guarantee. You ain't got a prayer in Vegas. You never had anything, so you have nothing to lose. All I want to do is hurt him, cripple him, get him off the table. All I care about is you. You're my boy, you understand? The world beats nobody halfway. Now is the time to do for yourself. I want you. Over the top, Dad. Over the top. Oh. Stallone, over the top. So I've never seen this movie. <laughs> I know, obviously, I know of this movie. How did this get made? Did a great episode about this movie, and I'm stealing this from them. What they said is essentially this movie is Sylvester Stallone is arm wrestling for the custody of his shot. There's a movie that came out very recently that's about arm wrestling that is much better called Golden Arm because it doesn't take itself seriously. (laughs) This movie, from what I've heard people talk about and the little bits and parts I have seen of it, it's like a drama. I know that Stallone like turns his hat backward when he's going to take somebody over the top. But as you can hear in that thing there, grandson back i'm gonna get my kid over the top dad like this is just so <laughs> utterly ridiculous i can't believe they made this movie uh, i'll tell you right now so first off uh robert logia is in this film logia logia thank you <laughs> yeah. That's, uh, and he and any time they would talk to him afterwards like i remember so I remember when we talked about Mario Brothers and how like Bob yep. Hoskins is like, you know, the worst film he's ever movie. done, everything. <laughs> yeah. This is the same thing. He's like, this isn't the script I signed up for. Stallone yeah. kept like, I don't think I want to do this. But he said, but I did it because the Golan and Globus just kept throwing money at me. Now, yeah, okay. they made this movie for the exact same amount of money, the same budget as they made Cobra, $25 million. Yeah. 
This movie made $16 million. All right. That makes a lot more sense. <laughs> well, I mean, again, the, it's a child custody <laughs> drama with arm wrestling at the front. That's ridiculous. Like They even, Golan and Glovis even put on a, they created like a arm wrestling tournament with real arm wrestlers. They oh had, my God. A lot of the footage in this movie is from this. And so oh it wasn't just that you had Sylvester Stallone is you didn't have actors in this movie. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And as a matter of fact, they couldn't use one scene. They had these two pro wrestlers who were going to be in it, but they got really drunk and one of them smashed a beer bottle on his head and cut his head open and they had to Wonderful. <laughs> stop for the day. But yes, the, the famous movie about arm wrestling and child custody, like you were saying. Yeah. And like, you know, the clips of it that I've seen too, they have close-ups on Sylvester Stallone's muscles and they look like boiled up and, and greasy looking and isn't the poster like a, a black arm and a white arm arm wrestling each other i i want to say that's the poster that i've seen but yeah i could just be making this up on my own or whatever but there's a movie again it came out like a year or two ago called golden arm that understands it's a movie about arm wrestling so it doesn't take itself seriously like over the top does so if you want to watch a movie about arm wrestling and have fun with it <laughs> watch golden arm don't watch over the top i do want to say not just robert loja that's in this film. But Giorgio Moroder did the score for it. Oh, now yeah, I have to listen to that score. Then. <laughs> now, so my point of bringing that up is Golan and Globus, they're working with the Hollywood heavyweights here. They're they're now at a point mm-hmm. where they can get big time people to come to come do movies for them. And so in 1986 alone, Canon Films released 43 films into the theaters. Jesus, that's like adult film industry level stuff. Yes. And this is not, they also have distribution deals for like uh, VHSs and laser discs at the time. So if you go watch the the VHS of Predator, you'll see Canon Films on there. They had nothing to do with the making of the movie, which is, again, I appreciate all the emails, but that's why I don't consider Predator a Canon film. They didn't have nothing to do. The movies we're talking about, these are movies that they actually produced and made. Yeah. So they're there, they're producing an ungodly amount of films. And you mm. have directors, they want to work or they want to get their dream projects off the ground. Golan and Globus never really messed with the directors. It wasn't like the Weinsteins when they were with Miramax, where they would cut the movies themselves sometimes. Golan yeah. and Globus, they would let hey, you as a director, you could do what you want. So some pretty big name directors came over and made films for Canon. I'm going to talk about one in particular in the second half. But John Frankenheimer, who made The Manchurian mm-hmm. Candidate, he yep, came over and he did a Canon film. Jean-Luc Godard, French yep. impressionist weirdo filmmaker, did an absolutely bonkers, weird, strange, modern King Lear, where the movie <laughs> starts out with like a voice message from Canon Films about the making of his movie. Just a weird, weird thing. I'd watch the hell out of that. And I told you in the, yeah, I told you in the first half, they would go to the Con, the Cannes Film Festival and sell their movies, sell movies they haven't even made yet. But they would also go and bid on other movies. So in 1986, again, their most prolific year. I was going to say, that's a big year for them. Uh, famous filmmaker Roman Polanski oh, has yeah. a huge, big budget uh, Pirates movie called Pirates. Okay. And... There was a, there was a big bidding war. It's another. It's considered a terrible, terrible film. It's Walter Matthau is in it, huh. but there's a huge bidding war about all the major studios. So MGM, Warner Brothers, all that stuff. And Canon Films won this bidding war to release Pirates. Wow! Now Man. it was. It's a. I've never seen the movie. A lot of people say it's incredibly bad. It's uh it's not good at all. And then in typical Roman Polanski, you know, Roman Polanski was already out of the country because if he comes to the U.S., he gets arrested for raping a, a, a teenager. Being disgusting. Yeah. yeah. Being a gross human being. Well, back in 2010, actress in Pirates, Charlotte Lewis, uh, said that she also sued Roman Polanski for when she was 16 years old. Polanski said he had she had to sleep with him to get her role in the movie Pirates. So Jesus. <laughs> What a scumbag. Oh, he is. He's he's absolutely a piece of dirt. Yeah. You know, and it's gross that the Hollywood people, like much like with Woody Allen, they still just keep covering up Mm -hmm. for him. So 
canon, this is where I'm going to end the first half here. They're in the Sylvester Stallone business, one good, one bad. They're they're outbidding other the major studios. Well, for- let's too bad just one of them made a lot of money so. <laughs> yeah yeah i meant box office wise one good <laughs> okay, one bad right, yeah. they their name is out there like i said they have big distribution deals almost any big movie from the 1980s canon somehow is touching it one way or the other but they still don't have those oscars they still uh-huh. don't have the the recognition of um uh, they they don't have the recognition along with the other big studios. They they don't have a place to put their Oscars up. Oh, before I forget too, they also came out. This is in '85. I completely forgot about this till I was doing research. There was Breaking, then Breaking to Electric Boogaloo, and then they made a movie that was originally known as Breakdance Three, which came to be known as Rappin. R a p p i n. That's I never heard of that with Mario what? with Mario Van Peebles who all of his raps were overdubbed by Master G from the Sugar Hill Gang. Wow. Ice-T is in an uncredited role in this. And it's it's exactly what you think well, it is, Ty. It's about I'd rapping. Watch that. Yeah. I have yeah, no well, idea. I, I, know, I mean, and also, I've never seen Breaking. Well, yeah. I've never seen Breaking or Breaking 2, but I think I would enjoy watching those, probably. I'm sure they're not good, but I think I would enjoy I've seen Breaking. I mean, I think I would enjoy just, like, what it is. Yeah, it's... They're, they're little 80s movies about that time in life. I mean, it's not like Cool as Ice, where it's just absolutely terrible. I mean, when people talk about canon films being terrible, I don't, think they, I don't think they are. I think you can see they're trying no. to make a good movie. In 1985, Canon Films uh, released a movie called Runaway Train. It was based off of a, a story by Akira Kurosawa. Yeah. So it's not the uh, Collective Soul song. No, 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 no. It's a it's it's an action movie. John Voight, Eric Roberts, Rebecca De Mornay. It was very successful. Like it, critically, it was very very successful, and it actually got nominated for three Oscars. And these weren't like little. I mean, it did get a film editing nomination, but it got a best actor and a best supporting actor nomination. And as a wow. matter of fact, the movie, a lot of people think the movie um, Speed was inspired by Runaway Train. The writer of Speed said he was. So they had a little bit of success there, did win some Golden Globes. And then in 1987, they had a movie that Morgan Freeman got his first Oscar nomination for called Street Smart, another crime thriller that had uh, Christopher Reeve in it, uh, Mimi oh. Rogers, and like I said, Morgan Freeman, who got an Oscar nomination. Wow, so they got nominations at least. Yeah, they were they were out there. Like I said, they were out there working it. I mean, they were making and you have a film studio that's making that many movies. It's they're yeah. covering so many different genres. They're, Something's bound to stick. Right. They're not attracting they they're not bringing in the platoons of the world, but they're making a, a low grade copy of platoon, but every now and then yeah. they get something. They get something like Runaway Train that that hits that people are like, oh, and so Golan and Globus could go to the uh, the Academy Awards. They're still not winning any of them, but they could go there. Yeah. I think it's around this time that both Golan and Globus realize that they're, I'm trying to find the right way to say this. They're very successful at making movies, mm-hmm. but they're not respected the same way that the traditional American studios are. Okay. I get that. So they both have a, a love an absolute love of Superman. Okay. And they decide, look, they're really good at making these kind of genre films. They're really good at making these urban crime films or making these low kind of sex comedies and things like that. But they're thinking, no, the big way to get into it is pure genre filmmaking. It's, it's to get into it with superhero movies. Now, I want to tell you where we are in superhero movies at this time, Ty. You've had Superman and Superman 2, but then Superman 3, which was not a canon film, has come out and it's terrible. It gets terrible Mm -hmm. reviews. Everybody kind of hates it. Yeah, A lot of people are trying to make a Batman movie right now, but they're not exactly there yet. So Golan and Globus, they look at each other and they say, we are going to be the ones that make the big tentpole genre films. They dreamed of making the Avengers movies before anybody else did. Really? Okay. And then we're going to take a break, and I will tell you that story in the second half. I'm on the edge of my seat. (laughs) 
Hello, all. This is RD. I wanted to talk to you guys about another podcast that I do work on called High Heels in Politics. It's hosted by Marianne Christie, who I work with here in Southwest Ohio. And Marianne, she interviews a lot of influential people. In Ohio, she's interviewed uh, a lot of political people that are influential. But for those of you outside of this state, she's also interviewed people like Susie Chapstick Chaffee, a former Olympic skier who was the face of Chapstick for the 1970s and 1980s. It's really interesting to listen to that one because she talks about her struggles as a woman in the Olympics, but then how she used her celebrity and her attractiveness in order to get more rights for amateur athletes, which led us today to things like the NIL. Also, Susie was very instrumental in Title IX, which we're celebrating the 50th anniversary of. But it's not all just seriousness. Uh, Marianne has also interviewed the Naked Cowboy, the New York City icon that's been out there. Simon Lease, who a lot of you may know if you've ever seen The People vs. Larry Flint, he was the guy that arrested Larry Flint. He also arrested Jerry Springer when Jerry Springer was a member of the Cincinnati City Council here. So I encourage you guys go to Spotify, Google, Apple, go search High Heels in Politics, follow, subscribe the show. Marianne comes out with a new one every week, and it's an incredibly great conversation. And if you're interested or know anybody that may be on High Heels in Politics, just go to the contact page and talk to us. So let's get back to the conversation. Okay, Ty, before I get into superheroes, I want to talk about, uh, I talked about how some famous directors were coming over to canon. Yeah. One of the first ones they brought over is uh, Tobe, Ho- Tobe Hooper, who had just directed Poltergeist. He was also known for okay. his big breakout hit was the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Oh, so a horror director. Yes. And they signed him to yeah. a three-picture deal. One of those three pictures is actually Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2, which, did again, did not do well. But it's a weirdly, like, uh, how Evil Dead 2 takes Evil Dead's concept and puts some kind of weird comedy in it. That's a little bit of yeah. what Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2 does. It's As the years have gone on, people have liked it. The first movie that Tobe Hooper does, it's, it's based off of a science fiction book from the 1970s called The Space Vampires. It had been going around, and now this isn't Golan and Globus scraping the barrel. They are, this is actually a pretty hot script, and this is a pretty hot director. The screenplay was written by Dan O'Bannon. If you ever see the documentary Jodorowsky's Dune. Recently watched that, which is, oh, everybody (laughs) watched that movie. It's amazing. Yeah. So uh, Dan O'Bannon, he was one of the many, many people that worked with Alejandro Jodorowsky. And so he's a name. There's a name. And then the effects were by dudes that worked on Aliens and Star Wars. I mean, there was a lot in this, again. $25 $25 million budget than that Life Force was. And a lot of people, if they remember, they're going to remember Life Force for two things, okay? okay? One is the poster of the movie. The poster of the movie is freaking great. It's one of the greatest okay. film posters ever. It's the huge eyeball just looking down on Earth. And okay. the other thing they're going to remember is Matilda May. Now, before I get to Matilda May, I'm going to play the trailer of Life Force for you, Ty. They watched. They waited. Now their time has come. Out of the depths of space, the ultimate terror. Moving, searching, destroying. From body to body, from life to life, from man to woman. Changing, growing, burning for our life force. From the director of Poltergeist. From the special effects creator of Star Trek, the motion picture, Life Force. In the blink of an eye, the terror begins. Sound promising? Yeah, I mean, I'm interested. It's got like an Aliens vibe and a very cool sci-fi type thing. Like, I'm I'm down with that. I'd watch that. It's kind of a dull film. Really? <laughs> it's a, so a movie about a lost ship that they find and they bring back. So Matilda May, as I was talking about, she plays one of the aliens, which they are. They're vampires. This is a vampire movie. They get loose okay. in like London and they suck the life force out of people. And it's not, it's not terrible effects. It's not any of this other stuff. But when I say people remember the poster of this movie and Matilda May, the reason why they remember Matilda May is she is nude nearly the entire film. Oh, okay. <laughs> um. And she so is, is that a choice. Or? Um, and she has got a she is a voluptuous lady. She is a, okay. a busty woman, let's say. And uh, 
so this movie's trying to be this very serious horror film, and you're constantly looking at tits. Okay, it takes okay. you completely out of the movie. So yeah, that would be uh, that would be kind of hard to focus on the story that's going. On. I mean, people don't watch adult films for the story; they watch it for the other no. stuff. So I feel like that would be. You know, that'd be interesting if they did that. Like a movie I recently watched called They Live. Mm-hmm. If they just had the wrestler and the dude from Something About Mary in it, and they were just pantsless the whole time, yes. I think I'd be like, wait a yes. minute, what's going on here? <laughs> yeah. so. And Life has gotten another life, so to say, with kind of midnight showings, B-movie yeah. stuff. It, there's a, a great story here. Like I said, the effects aren't terrible. There's a lot of big people, but when the whole movie you're looking at a nude uh, a woman's boobs and you're mm-hmm. like okay <laughs> yeah yeah it was I, not it yeah. was not a success it actually came out the exact same day that the movie cocoon came out and oh. cocoon blew it out of the water yeah that yeah i've never seen cocoon but from what i've heard cocoon is a pretty good movie about i, I guess aging is yeah. what people have told me yeah Golan and Globus are not deterred, and I go back to them wanting to, make, them. <laughs> wanting to make their big superhero movie. They approached, I talked about this when we talked about Superman in like film, and they went to the Salkins, which was father, son that owned the rights to Superman, and they purchased the rights uh, because they were superhero movies were just not something you did. And Superman yeah. 3 was very, very bad. Now, Superman 3 did not have Gene Hackman in it. I don't even think Margot Kidder was in it. It was, was that the one with Richard, Richard Pryor? Pryor? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So they went and they decided that they're going to make Superman. And once again, they have all this money and they're like, okay, we're going to spend money on it. It's going to be a big, big deal. They went and they gave, what's his name? Gene Hackman, just tons of money. They let Christopher Reeve help write the movie or at least come up with the story. They brought Margot Kidder back to play Lois Lane. It's like, okay, everything's going to be right with the world and Superman, all right? The band's back together, it sounds like. Here's the issue with Superman 4, the quest for peace. First off, Christopher Reeve isn't a writer. Yeah, he's an actor. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. (laughs) And uh, he was, this was, uh, I want to say it came out in late 80s, 1987. Christopher Reeve was really into, we need to disarm all of our nuclear weapons. So that's what the whole story was about, that Superman was going to get rid of all the nuclear weapons. Then, so there's a big scene of him grabbing them all, putting them in the net, and throwing them into space. And this movie, and I'm going to talk about a few others, are kind of like this. You watch the first 20 minutes, you watch that scene, it doesn't look terrible per se. But as they were making this, they're running out of money. Canon Films is running out of money. And so the guy who's the bad guy, nuclear man, is, is a dude that's never acted. Okay, so he's the main bad guy. I mean, there is Lex Luthor, but you could tell that, first off, Christopher Reeves, I think I heard stories, too, that like he was going through a divorce at the time. Yeah. He just wasn't in a good space. Gene Hackman is obviously just collecting a paycheck. So mm. the thing with Superman 4, it's not one of these so bad, it's good movies. It's a bad movie. I mean, bad. Okay. And you watch... I've never seen it. Oh, yeah. And you watch a big final climactic fight between him and Nuclear Man. Again, go to YouTube, type in Superman, Nuclear Man, fight over New York. Ty, you and I could make it. The effects are (laughs) awful. We could take our phone and just film something. (laughs) It it would be better. It is... It's not even... I, I go back to Life Force. Life Force did not look bad. It's not like effects were bad at the time, but the use of the, the blue screen or the green screen and all this is just absolutely awful. And it was like, that's it. Nobody can make superhero movies until the very next year Batman came out. Yeah. It, but it, I go to that Batman movie, though, is you had to put the right people in, in place. You can't just have a couple of dudes who are big fans of, of Superman say, okay, we're going to make a Superman movie and then let the actor write it. It just, yeah. it just wasn't going to work. Yeah. Sometimes you need to be a little more hands-on with stuff like that. No disrespect to Christopher Reeve. I don't no. know anything about him. He seems like he was a okay. No, yeah. Or whatever, he was a very, but, yeah. But to be like, you know, there's a reason why they have writers for stuff and they have actors for stuff. Again, I told you off Mike. I finished season two of the bear last night. None of those actors write the show. They have a right. They had a writing staff for season two, and that's writers write, actors act. Maybe there's some that can do it, like I don't know Matt Damon, Ben Affleck. I know they won an Oscar for Goodwill Hunting, but mostly writers and actors are separate, and there's a reason for that. Yeah, again, 
<laughs> you're not you're, you're not going to dissuade the go-go boys as they were calling. No. Of so course not. another big uh this was also the time where you had a lot of these big toy lines and I discussed mm-hmm. this even talked I think I even played the trailer for this but when we talked about He-Man but you know yep. GI Joe had its cartoon and it had its movie which was a direct to video release it was still cartoon Smart. Transformers so yeah. yeah Transformers famously had its movie where they killed everybody including their main star off in the first 20 yeah. minutes that's crazy. <laughs> well, Golan and Globus were going to go one bigger. When they went and they wanted, and when Mattel was bidding out He-Man as a movie, Golan and Globus said, you need to go with us because we're going to do live action. And Mattel said, hell yeah, okay, we're going to go with with your movie. So this was another big, big film, again, in 1987, that they put yeah. all of this money behind. They bring in, this is one of the canon film's problems, is you bring in Tobe Hooper, but then these other big movies, you have these no-name directors. So they bring yep. in a no-name director. They get Frank Langella to play Skeletor, who, <laughs> hey, man, he's, he's giving such, it his he, all. He's too good of an actor to play. Oh, but like he that. gives it his all. And you good Fra- for him. Frank Langella talks about how he actually liked playing this role. For people who don't know, Frank Langella is like a respectable, very good, yes. very like <laughs> yes. Shakespearean type actor. So for him to take this on, that's yeah. why. And they get Bill Conti to do the music. Again, you're getting big, big time people. So you watch this much like Superman. They obviously put this movie in production thinking, and again, trying to sell it to people before they make it, that they're going to have enough money to finish it. Yeah. The first 20 minutes of this, there, there's Castle Grayskull and Skeletor and all his henchmen and He-Man. And it looks like, okay, wow, this could be a good movie. And Golan and Globus are telling everybody, this is the Star Wars of the 1980s. They're like, this is the next ah, big thing. Really? But they run out of money. And of course the majority <laughs> of this movie takes place in like some L.A. suburb with Courtney Cox and Robert Duncan McNeil running around. And, wait, 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 wait. Yeah. wait. This is like the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie from when I was a kid, which I love, yeah. but you can't separate those two. It's got separating that is taking away from what the movie's supposed to be. They literally shut this movie down while they were filming the final climactic fight between He-Man and Skeletor. Really? And, yes. And wow. much like much like uh Superman 4, when you see the end and just how bad the effects are. Like Frank Langella saying, they just told him don't show up today. And they had this like stunt double and all the scenes are shot really far away because they're just trying to piece together, piece together film so they could release it in the theaters. That's like Millhouse playing uh, Fallout. (laughs) Yes. Or even I watched the episode of Every Man with My Son yesterday. And that's what when Homer gained all the weight back, they kept making cuts. And even Lenny says, (laughs) all this cutting's taking me out of the story of the movie. That's how this sounds. This is exactly what it is. And wow. back to back here, Superman four masters of the universe, big. I mean, this is staking Golan and Globus's reputation, money, everything, both big failures commercially, critically, uh. just big, big failures. So they're at a point now, Ty, where they're used to making these low budget films that make some money. So they're trying to make yeah. big budget films. They want that respect from Hollywood. Yeah. So they're. They're leaning in. They're like, they're saying, you know what? One day these superhero movies are going to mean something. They weren't wrong about no. that. It's just, it seems like they had a good idea, but it's it's the story of the Phoenix. They flew too close to the sun. They had this great idea, which eventually would be a good idea with advancements in computers and technology and stuff like that. But it also seems like it, it's great that they were hands off, but almost they were too hands off with stuff that causes problems. With yeah. And I mean, it seems like these two movies are what, Sunk ship at Canada films. Well, yeah, and now you also have the IRS looking into their their finances, so they're okay. be, they're under yep. investigation, but they're not to be deterred. Now, also at this time, this is a this is another podcast altogether. For a long time, people would be like, "Why can't Spider Man be in an Avengers movie?" And mm-hmm. they finally were able to bring Spider Man into it. But if you ever watch any of those movies, it says Sony and Marvel or Disney. Yep. And, it, uh, the Spider-Man movies don't have the Marvel crawl like, you know, an Iron Man or Black Panther. Right. And then there's, well, why can't, why hasn't the X-Men shown up in a Marvel movie yet? Quick aside, have you seen Wolverine's outfit yes, for the cool movie? That looks so awesome, <laughs> yeah. dude. <laughs> in the late 1980s, Marvel Comics was a disaster. It was facing bankruptcy, and they were essentially, Stan Lee was trying to just keep 
keep the doors open. So mm. what he did is decide to sell the rights to all of these characters uh, individually. Like if you wanted Spider-Man, you had to buy Spider-Man. If you wanted the Hulk, you wanted the Hulk. You had you had to buy the Hulk. And what happened is a lot of people would go out there and they have um there's a, a rule with intellectual property that you have a certain amount of years to make something. If you don't make it in that time period, the rights revert revert back to the original owner. Yep. So for Marvel, they sold all these pieces off into a lot of different places. And you know, Sony owned Spider-Man, 20th Century Fox owned the X-Men. And then uh, Paramount owned like Captain America. Now, Disney and Time is, has started to bring all these pieces back in. But the reason why you're getting a Craven the Hunter movie or even a third Venom movie is Sony can make those movies and mm-hmm. still use that intellectual property. Craven well, the Hunter looks pretty rad, too, yep. I will say. Canon Films, they got into it. Now, they really, really went out there and they tried to, uh, they, they tried to get the Fantastic Four. But Roger Corman, he bought the rights to the Fantastic Four. And again, another story for one day, Roger Corman's Fantastic Four movie, which was made and never released just so he could keep the the uh, the rights to it. It is supposedly just pure and other dog poo. But yeah, that's what I've heard. It's hard to find. But Canon did come out with their film, uh, Captain America. They were able to get the rights for it in 1990. <laughs> Maybe, wait, there was a Captain America movie in 1990? So, Ty, yes, I'm going to play the trailer for it right now. Why you get your guinea pig? Happens to be the best damn candidate out of 600 volunteers here. A secret experiment gave one man the strength of a hundred. The rest of the world is just codenamed Captain America. And the power to save millions. The Jerry's an experimental rocket. Friend of Ironman Darwin somewhere in the United States. Only he could defeat a superhuman madman. They got a fella called the Red Skull heading up their outfit. All we can hope to get in there is one good man. But saving the world left him trapped in an icy grave until fate released him to finish a battle started decades ago. Yeah, he's still alive. We don't know where he is or who he is. Now, an evil genius is on the verge of global domination. Captain America, you've got to help us. And only Captain America can stop him. Ronnie Cox, Ned Beatty, Darren McGavin, Kim Gillingham, Scott Pollan as the Red Skull, and Matt Salinger as the Marvel Comics hero, Captain America. Sounds like a Marvel production. So pew, pew, pew. It sounds like <laughs> the lasers they shoot in Star Wars, which everybody makes jokes of. I've heard of none of those people except for Ned Beatty. Ronnie, Ronnie Cox. He was in. Uh, he was the, the bad guy in RoboCop. Not Clarence Boddicker, oh. but the guy who hired yeah, him. Yeah, yeah. Okay, I do know who that is because, again, I recently watched RoboCop. That movie rips for anybody who yes. thinks it's not good. But, um, <laughs> no, I will say to give them some kind of credit here, the story sounds a lot like the Chris Evans Captain America. Mm-hmm. It's the same story. So at least, I mean, they're following the comic book, but it's so of its age. It's of its time. And unfortunately, and as much as I'm averse to like, computers and ai taking over and stuff you need that stuff for superhero there's a reason why superman 3 and 4 didn't work and they didn't make a proper batman until tim burton got on and none of these marvel movies that they made you mentioned the fantastic four one you just played that trailer for me there's a reason why none of those worked in the 80s and early 90s because you didn't have the graphics yet but to their credit the story sounds similar to the to the first which which i think now captain america civil war i think is just one of the greatest movies ever but that First Avenger Captain America movie is really good. This one sounds not so good. Yeah, so it wasn't. <laughs> Here's a few of your problems. First off, I do want to say also in the cast, Darren McGavin and Melinda Dillon, Ralphie's mom and dad from A Christmas Story. They're, oh, they're okay. Both, I know both, who they are from yeah, that. They're both Does he say movie. Fragile in this movie? <laughs> no. But, is, is Ralphie rubbing a leg <laughs> in this movie? So your two stars, the Red Skull, Scott Pollan plays him. He was an, a working actor, but nothing you would have ever seen him in. Matt Salinger. Does the name set, ring a bell? J.D. Salinger is an author I know of, but... That's his son. Oh, okay. Because <laughs> J.D. Salinger wrote Catcher in the Rye, is that Yeah, correct? yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's... so I, I know that name, but mm-hmm. I couldn't tell you anything about Matt Salinger yeah. other than he's the son of one of the world's greatest writers yeah, of all time. Yeah, Nepo Baby. Not an actor. <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> and I do want to tell you, I, I have seen this movie. It is terrible. It is so terrible. But it's... Is it pew-pew, like the guns, yes, like in yes, Star Wars? Okay. And it's one of those, like, you'll see... 
he'll, you'll see him get on this motorcycle and drive like ride away. And then later on, you'll use the same footage. They'll just reverse it. And so oh. you see a lot of that stuff <laughs> in it. But I do want to like talk about the end of the movie is he's got his shield. He's fighting Red Skull and there's some assassin behind him. And he throws his shield to knock Red Skull off the cliff. And as it boomerangs back before the assassin shoots him, it hits her in the back of the head and he catches it. What? <laughs> yes. That is wild, dude. Good lord. So it was this was just released directly to VHS and Laserdisc, and it it's obviously it never did well, never did anything. I do want to quickly say though about the director. The director is by a gentleman named Albert Pune or Pion. He directed a lot of canon films, but he okay. was kind of there like if they lost out on a director, they would hire him. And so he okay, was brought in, you. and any time they were trying to sell their movies and they were saying they had a director, they would put him in place. So gotcha. he directed a lot of canon films, but he was kind of like a, a, a session drummer or something like that. Okay, yeah, yeah. He yeah. was just brought An in. An unfortunate session musician who just, if they need you at the drop of a hat, you'll yeah. do that to take the job. But I'm going to talk to you about canon film Spider-Man. Okay. This is, it never got made. Albert Pune was supposed to direct it, obviously. It went through multiple, multiple rewrites. The canon films version of Spider-Man is interesting because before they ever made a Spider-Man movie, before Sam Raimi's, there are two interesting projects. One is the canon films one, and the other one is the James Cameron one. The canon films one in, in particular, Golan and Globus didn't really understand what the Spider-Man comic was. They thought Spider-Man was like the Wolfman. It was a man uh, who turned into a spider. Morphed into yeah. Okay. <laughs> so now could sling webs from his wrists. Right. What they did when they when they got the rights to it and they hired a writer, they told him to make that movie. And Where a person turns into a literal spider? Yes. Oh, that sounds horrible. <laughs> like spider up uh, anyway, sorry. Yeah. So just <laughs> Stan Lee saw this and he's like, no, <laughs> yeah, that's not correct. And, not told, his, his and told them, you got to rewrite this. And, and those, the Canon Films one had Otto Octavius and uh, Peter Parker fall into a cyclotron, get into an accident. They both get changed or whatever. This was where you're going to first, you'll see this a lot in the James Cameron one. But after Doc Ock does something, he always says, okie dokie. Oh, boy. That's absurd. Yeah. <laughs> they had already started to cast people. Alfred Molina would never say that as no. Doc Ock. Sorry. Yeah. They were already starting to cast people. They were in discussion with Tom Cruise to play Peter Parker. They were wow. in discussion with Bob Hoskins to play. Wait, isn't hmm. Peter Parker supposed to be a high schooler? Yes. How old would Tom Cruise be? When he they was. Made this? I mean, this was post Top Gun, so he's in his twenties. He's older than because he. Yeah, maybe even in young that 30s. football movie, he looked like a high school. Yeah, but they. I mean, yeah, they had uh, Bob Hoskins as Doc Ock. The, uh, Stan Lee himself was going to play J. Jonah Jameson. They huh. were talking to Lauren Bacall and Catherine Hepburn, Peter Cushing, Grand Moff Tarkin from Star Wars. Uh -huh. So there were some names involved yeah. with it. But again, they could never get the financing together. And about the time Canon Films under Golan and Globus collapsed, went bankrupt and were bought out by a shady Italian film company, they just lost the rights to it. And then it went to, it went to James Cameron, which again, I'll tell that story another day. And then yeah. eventually it went to Sony and Sam Raimi. And Sam Raimi got it right with the first <laughs> two. The third one... And I've seen some internet culture being like, oh, the third Spider-Man's not that bad. The third Spider-Man is it's bad. bad. Yes, it's That's bad. a bad movie. But the first two, especially that second one with Alfred Molina's Doc Ock, that's, that movie's amazing. And if you actually read about the canon script, the one that, that Stan Lee liked more, it talks about Dr. Octopus trying to harness some energy and how it's going to suck New York into this black hole. A lot of mm. Spider-Man 2 is taken from this canon script. Okay. They took a lot of the better parts, but I go back to, I know uh, Tobe Hooper was thought to be the director of their first version of Spider-Man, where he turns into an actual spider. Yeah, again, <laughs> I, I'm so confused by <laughs> yeah. that. They just didn't understand. Well, uh, clearly, I mean, I, even I knew as a kid who didn't read comic books that Spider-Man didn't <laughs> turn into a spider. Wolverine is not, he has claws <laughs> in his hand. He's not an actual Wolverine. Yeah, it would have been some weird, like... Uh, like John Carpenter, the thing or the fly, yeah. just weird body horror 
It was, yeah, and to be honest, need, uh, that probably would have never ever been another Spider-Man movie ever again. <laughs> they made it that Well, yeah, way. you need a uh, who's the guy who does all the body horror stuff? Who who directed the fly? They need that oh, guy to direct. Yeah, uh Cronenberg. Cronenberg. Yeah, you need Cronenberg to do a movie <laughs> like that and then it would be some weird story about ethics or some nonsense that Cronenberg does. Although I do want to see Infinity Pool, so I will say I do want to watch that. Okay, Tom, I'm going to end on the legacy here of Canon Films. So Canon Films, obviously, everything we've talked about, it it was a staple of HBO. I'm going to watch Life Force to see Matilda May's boobs. I'm going to watch I'm going to watch Cobra to just see some over the top action. It had this it kind of created its thing. It brought us Chuck Norris, good or bad. I do know there's Canon TV who did help launch Walker, Texas Ranger, but that's this is Canon Films. It had this huge output, had the American Ninja movies, had the Ninja movies. Overall, Canon is Golan and Globus are remembered for this time in the 80s of creating kind of this these 80s films. But they mm. were they were copying mostly. They were remakes of other movies or they were bringing old actors or established actors into their fold. There's one star outside of Golan and Globus who in the 90s they the two cousins broke up and they, I said, Mahan Golan died a couple of years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, Yorman, Go- or Yorman Gol- Globus, he's still around. He's got a film studio, but it's never made anything. Yeah. But they did create one, I think, kind of homegrown talent. And when people look back, if they had to rank all the canon films, there's some like Runaway Train or Critically Acclaimed. There's some like The Last American Virgin that have kind of a cult following. But the one that I think people will point to, the one that has, that we should do an entire podcast about the making of sometime, but it's a film I'm going to play the trailer for right now. For centuries, the Society of the Black Dragon has sanctioned an ancient rite of combat known as the Kumite. Open only to the world's most lethal warriors. It has never been won by a Westerner. You are not Japanese. I can do it. Now, for the first time, the true story of America's super agent, Frank Dukes, can be revealed. Uncle Sam can't afford to let you get hurt. I'm going to Hong Kong. Frank is going to fight in the Kumite, and we're here to stop him. An awesome human weapon. There's me just looking at it. Who infiltrates the Chinese underworld. I did not come this far to stop now. Take him. To enter a forbidden competition. Couldn't you just get me in? Strict rules. No press. You telling me you never break rules? Where every fighting style, every worthy opponent, every deadly technique clash in savage combat. Time to separate the men from the boys. And only one will triumph. Now I break you. International martial arts sensation Jean-Claude Van Damme in Bloodsport. The true story of the ultimate champion. Tell me you've seen Bloodsport. Of course I have. A movie, it's not like... (laughs) You know, on the surface, it's not a good movie. That movie rips. Oh. I watched. I could watch that movie anytime. It's absolutely ridiculous. I love that Wu Tang and a bunch of other people always make Frank Duke references in their music. Like Bloodsport is the prototypical like dudes dudes movie. It's again on the surface not a good movie. I could watch that movie anytime it's on. I will turn it on and watch it. Movie totally rips. Yeah, Bloodsport came out in '88. It was uh, I said in the first part when they did Missing in Action, there was an uncredited Jean Claude Van Damme. This was Golan and Globus giving him his starring vehicle. Now, a few quick things here. Frank Dukes is a real person. Uh huh. His story is complete BS. Yeah. How did this get made? Talk about again. How did this get made? Did another episode of this? It's completely false. It's yes. all made up. Yep. Yes. And, I mean, Jean Claude Van Damme does Frank Dukes a lot of favors in, uh-huh. in this. Well, and listen. Oh, go. Uh, no, no. And listening to the trailer, I was just listening to Jean Claude Van Damme talk during that trailer, <laughs> yeah. and he has the career that I think a guy like Tommy Wiseau envies because Jean Claude Van Damme got to play this American hero, Frank Dukes. Tommy Wiseau never had that shit. <laughs> no, no, no. And it was obviously Bloodsport. Was, it was mildly successful when it was in the theaters. But gosh, I mean, I probably saw that movie 20 times when I was in college. 
It's totally. uh, yeah, it's con- I mean, if you are a guy in our age group, you have seen Bloodsport. You know that movie. Yes. You know him doing the splits and knocking him in the balls. I mean, mm-hmm. you know this movie forward and backward. And Golan and Globus knew they had a star in Jean-Claude Van Damme, and they wanted yep. to get him into more movies. Again, the their studio was falling apart. And it's kind of fitting that one of the it's I think it may be the last movie of the Golan Globus era of Canon films that they made is the Jean-Claude Van Damme movie Cyborg. So I talked about Spider-Man. I talked about Masters of the Universe. With Spider-Man, they were building sets. They were in active production of making that movie. They just never filmed anything. Yeah. Cyborg in a lot of other countries, like I said, is actually known as Masters of the Universe 2 Cyborg. Oh, no way. I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah, so, and a lot of the sets from Spider-Man are in that movie. Cyborg, oh, okay. I mean, I'm I think it's okay. It's uh, it's not blood Never sport. It. Yeah, it, yeah, you know, you had Jean-Claude Van Damme movies going at the time. They also like against Steven Seagal movies. I always prefer Jean-Claude Van Damme, not yeah, just as well, a person. He was in Street Fighter also, yes. wasn't he? Yeah. Oh yeah, and as a person much better person. Yes. Then, yeah. Like I said, that's that's it. That was the end of the Go-Go Boys. The Canon Films went through a few other people, never ever reached the height of the 80s and just kind of disappeared. And now I can say I used Wikipedia a lot for this, but I came across a podcast uh, about six months ago or so called The Canon Canon, where they're uh, two working actors, like improv actors, who go through every Canon movie. Oh, wow. <laughs> and, uh, I'd like to listen to that and yeah, see some of that. Yeah, yeah, and there's a lot cool. of like, uh, I mean, you'll recognize a lot of them, but there's things like, how did this get made, obviously, but this mm-hmm. is just strictly on Canon, and it... Uh, it brings me back. I'm I'm going on. I'm going to be watching some American Ninja here soon. I'm acquiring all these things. But Ty, that's it. That's a story of the greatest film studio of the 1980s. Hey, guys, this is Future RD here. Before I end the podcast, I did want to give credit to two other movies that I forgot to mention to Ty here. One is Electric Boogaloo, The Wild Untold Story of Canon Films. It's a 2014 documentary that kind of goes through everything that we went through in these these last two podcasts, except it has a lot of the talking heads of the time. An excellent, excellent film. It actually reignited my love affair with Canon Films years ago when I saw it. But there's an interesting part of that movie at the very end where they say they reached out to Golan and Globus for the movie. And instead of doing the Electric Boogaloo, the wild untold story of Canon Films, they went and very quickly created their own documentary called The Go-Go Boys, The Inside Story of Canon Films, that they appear in. And that movie, again, in Golan Globus fashion, actually premiered at the Cannes Film Festival, and it premiered a few months before Electric Boogaloo did. Now, if I had to tell you to only watch one, Electric Boogaloo, I think, is the better film overall. The Go-Go Boys is kind of a, a love letter. It's a nice love letter. It is a nice movie. I do enjoy it. But I wanted to give those two credit for really inspiring me to put this podcast together. And a lot of the history that I pulled came from mostly Electric Boogaloo, but the Go-Go Boys was also involved. And like I said, I give these these two dudes who started to credit because they really ran with this idea. And again, I appreciate that they're hands-off, although maybe they should have been more hands-on with stuff. And <laughs> they took chances. They made money. They made movies that aren't critically acclaimed, but there's movies. I mean, you and I know Bloodsport. We know mm-hmm. Masters of the Universe. We know a lot of the movies you mentioned I've heard of, especially in the second part of this podcast. I've heard of before I know of or... I've heard Paul Shear, June Diane Raphael, and Jason Manzukas cover it in just endless podcast episodes. So credit to these guys. Like they they had a vision, they ran with it, they did some stuff, and unfortunately they went broke, but they had a career <laughs> making movies. Yeah, they did. Well, Ty, if they need you to do the true life story of Frank Dukes, where are they gonna find you? Oh my god, that'd be crazy. <laughs> also, I can become Spider-Man, a man who turns into a spider. <laughs> yeah. You can find me on Instagram and Facebook, Ty Kulik, T-Y-K-U-L-I-K, all lowercase. More importantly, come read my stuff on Seedsing, S-E-E-D-S-I-N-G dot com, pop culture, pop culture, sports, all kinds of stuff on there. You can hear me on Chucklehead Chat. Again, I've been talking with Glenn. I'm going to record another episode him, with him here soon, but I've been on episodes before. You can find that wherever you get podcasts. Most importantly, though, listen to me on this podcast, the Ex-Millennial Man podcast. thought it was funny because you called me yesterday to make sure I was okay to record today <laughs> because I wrote an article about being sick. Totally fine to record. Not a big deal at all. But yeah, Ex-Millennial Man co- podcast. Rate, review us. Tell your friends about us. Check out our Patreon. 
And as always, Black Lives Matter. Yeah, repeat all that, ex-millennial man seed saying. And like I said, look for it on the feed here, but it'll have its own feed, first watch, rewatch, kind of working out a few other things to the point of I may even ask you to find people to record with and ask, ask Tina too. But I, I have a couple of projects in there. I just, like I said, there's already a great podcast called The Canon Canon. I just don't want to do yeah. all Canon movies. So yeah, yeah, exactly. Working some things out. But we've got two episodes done. They'll be coming out every other week here. Twice a month is what I'm working on right now. With all that being said, we thank you for your ears. Anything else that you may use to listen to the Ex-Millennial Man podcast, remember we're here every Saturday for free, wherever you find your fine podcasting shows. And if I want to leave anything with anyone here, you've seen Bloodsport, you should definitely see the Apple. It's not good. Mm-hmm. Last American Virgin is way better than any of you guys remember it. And once you get to Earth and Masters of the Universe, the movie's over. Okay. (laughs) Perfect. And don't watch Superman 4. Just don't. No, no, no. It's not. Yeah. All right. Talk to you next time, Ty. Stay fresh, cheese bags. The Ex-Millennial Man Podcast is a production of SeedSing.com, fully owned by R.D. Kulik & Associates, LLC. Producers Ty Kulik and Ryan Kulik, adequately engineered by Ryan Kulik.